You'll hear him this weekend on Toronto This Weekend. Hope he knows where his umbrella is in his household, or several. Uh, it's Ben Mulrooney. It's great to have you on. Good morning, Gregory. Also, I'm going to be in this afternoon sitting in for Kelly for the day. Fantastic. 12 to 3. Yeah. I'll, I'll just be picking uh, my kids up from their high school exams. Everybody remembers how much fun that was in January. Wrecks your Christmas holidays. Wrecks your New Year's Eve. It wrecks your January. I'll pick up two sobbing um, uh, male teenagers later today, and not for the obvious reasons, because they got rejected or something like that. It's just more of a, more of their exams. And Kareem Assad, probably an expert and a brilliant high school exam taker. Nobody goes to law school without knowing how to write high school exams, Karima. Come on. <laughs> I'm a good test taker. Oh, but, you know. <laughs> okay, okay. Well, let's test you out. Let's test you out here in the think tank, and we're going to play this audio that is sort of starting to make the rounds a little bit. I know we're throwing it at you, but we're also uh, – Eager to get your opinion on it, Prime Minister Justin Trudeau and uh, MP candidate for the Conservative Party, Jamil Giovanni. I'm going to get to that in a minute, but right now let's talk about education. Uh, we got some blowback and some response from Ontario colleges yesterday. Um, they are suggesting chaos will be created if international students are cut and or capped. So let's start here with you, Karima. This is obviously such a hot topic. Um, but what we're starting to see is when the federal government says we're going to put limits on, of course, the colleges don't want fewer international students. And I admit there's some pressure on the Ford government to allow tuition to be raised. Um, I, I think there's a bit of a trust factor here. I think everyone understands maybe tuition should go up. But I also wonder if we need to see international students capped first. How do you view the top? It's a touchy topic. How do you view it? So with the caveat that I don't have sort of a full economic analysis. I, I do understand that international students are a major revenue stream. Um, I also understand that a lot of students come in and are themselves misled or brought in under false pretenses about what it is they're going to learn, um, what they can expect, um, how they'll be able to perform, what their practical opportunities are, uh, and you have colleges who are benefiting the most and at times at the expense of surrounding communities because there isn't very clearly the infrastructure to support this influx of students. Um, so, so that's the broader context that needs to be considered. Um, and the, the idea that there are, in fact, diploma mills um, that aren't properly equipping students uh, with what they need and it, it, it really it siphons resources, and the beneficiaries are these private colleges, right? Um, so that's something that has to be looked at. I think, yeah, and Ben, without knowing all the details of uh, where the where a college's finances are, Conestoga College, I can tell you, like it's it seems like the number is right around. They've got thirty thousand international students there. They have more students not born in Canada than born in Canada, and of course, there should be opportunities for people from other countries. But they're taking twenty grand a kid, not putting anything back into housing or the community, and they collect six hundred million dollars in tuition. I'm sure we'd all love to know where that money goes, right? I, I think I think transparency in in all of these cases, as it relates to education, is is vital. Um, I don't know that they're not necessarily putting anything back into uh, into into housing. I mean, when you've got when you've got people here for a certain amount of time, they've got to find a place to live. They've got to spend money. They've got to. Eat, oh no, sorry. I mean, the colleges aren't putting anything back into housing. That's what I mean. They're not building no, okay. based yeah. on a percentage of kids they get. That's what I meant. Oh yeah, no, uh, that, that that's fair as well. I, I would say, I would say that uh, no guarantees of employment and no guarantees of the value of the 
of the of the diploma uh, once you once you graduate is not specific to Ontario colleges. I, I know I know dozens of of people from when I was in university who got themselves liberal arts. Uh, diplomas thinking that they were going to have great careers and they found themselves uh, between a rock and a hard place upon graduation. And that was decades ago. So that, that's not specific to Ontario colleges. I, th- I, think, I, think, I think one of the issues, I, think, I don't think anybody thinks that the situation uh, could uh, continue uh, as, as it did uh, forever, but it's the slapdash manner in which this change happened. And it's the limbo in which these kids find themselves who are already, as it said, it says online in the pipeline that is causing so much consternation. I think, I think, I think universities, colleges can adapt to a lot of situations, but when it's just thrown at you and you're in the middle of, of, of bringing a number of these kids in, well, that's when a crisis starts to happen. Yeah, it just tells you too, though, Ben. It's it's really tough to bring in and grandfather something in like this, if you will. Like it's it's this tells you the problem is so massive. It's plug the leaks right now. We can't wait till twenty. We often hear governments put something in. They'll be like, this will begin in twenty twenty six. Like remember when they were gonna the Ford government was gonna reform long term care, and we're gonna send we're gonna put this money in, and you'll start to see the differences in twenty twenty seven. And everybody knows anybody that has somebody in a long term care facility, they won't make it till twenty. But I'm making the point that this is obviously an immediate, the house is on fire emergency at these schools. Yeah, I mean, the, the house, the house is probably on on fire. But the, uh, to me, this is this is uh, shutting down one problem and creating another one. I mean, the, uh, are any of us waking up today saying a problem has been solved? No, we're, we're, the, the, the problem's been highlighted, and it looks like there's a whole new one that we have to deal with. So, mm-hmm. you know, uh, uh, more, more consultation, um, more, uh, you know, bringing in the stakeholders. It really does feel like the colleges themselves were just, were just thrown a diktat uh, and were told adapt, as opposed to bringing them in as stakeholders and helping them solve the problem. It's an interesting thing, though, um, Kareem, and it goes to post-secondary education as a whole. We, we know we pay less money than they do in the States, but I had to look this up last night. There's 44,000 U of T undergrads right now. There's 3,200 academic staff. There's almost 8,000 administrative staff. What do they do? That's one for every five undergrads. Those would all be six-figure salaries. What do they do? That's all I want to know. What do they do and do we need that many? You're both very fair questions about a, a great school like U of T. Well, I mean, bureaucracy spiraling uh, <laughs> is... <laughs> I think that, that that happens across the board in every institution and, you know, that, that, that's just an inevitability here. Um, you know, and I, I'm not sure um, the extent to which this affects universities versus colleges, something to look at. Um, and as well, from the student's perspective, um, many get here and are then subject to predatory landlords, predatory yeah. employment practices, or being stuck in the gig economy. Um, so, it, 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 again, what are the actual prospects being offered and the money that's brought in? If it stays strictly within these private institutions or semi-public, semi-private, um, but it's not actually trickling into the community, that's, that's problematic. All right, I want to play this from Justin Trudeau yesterday. Everybody knows liberals are pretty un- under fire right now. We're going to get to this Tucker Carlson thing in Alberta in a little bit. Uh, but yesterday, Justin Trudeau was opining on stage, this is not a scrum scenario, in front of his MPs and, and staffers um, about various 
candidates for Pierre Polyev and the next uh, and the conservative party in the next election. Durham is specific because there's going to be a by-election there. That was Aaron O'Toole's former seat. Here's what he said about Jamil Giovanni, um, who uh, is going to run in Durham. And he called him a name that I knew right away it was going to get some misinterpretation here. I want you to hear the Trudeau comment, and then I'll follow it up with what Jamil Giovanni said about it. And now, Pierre Polyev's new candidate in Durham is a twofer. Okay, here's what here's Jamil, Jamil's response. I'm also not sure how the prime minister has time to be name-calling when he should be trying to save his failed administration. But I thought I would take this as an opportunity to introduce myself, since you certainly can't take Justin Trudeau's word for it. Okay, I'm going to start with you, Karima. I remember hearing the term in the mid-90s. It's sort of like calling somebody a token. It's a little like we've just revolutionized our language. But I remember watching two guys get in a fight over the word token in at a radio station in Detroit, like nose to nose, hands on each other's shoulders. And I knew what the two for meant. My point is, doesn't the prime minister have to be a little bit more careful and not careless about terms like this that could be misinterpreted? Yeah, I I heard the clip um, and I understand from that context he was calling uh, Mr. Giovanni both an insider and an ideologue. Um, But that's not readily apparent from the word, which, if you hear it out of context, could sound like a slur. Um, And so optics matter. And it's also just a little bit disingenuous for, on one hand, um, we have liberal MPs who are condemning uh, Danielle Smith for talking to Tucker Carlson, importing U.S. politics and the style of politicking into Canada, uh, and then to have uh, what just seemed a little bit out of place and distasteful, um, this attack on new MPs, that that wasn't substantive. And Ben, it's got three different uh, Webster definitions in the dictionary, but one is a person who belongs to two minority or underprivileged groups and can satisfy two quotas or appeal to two political consistencies constituencies, I should say. And that's the problematic part right there is people Mm -hmm. are. And and I'd make the point, Ben, if any other leader, namely Pierre Polyev, called a liberal MP that we're all talking about it for weeks on end and hair hair is on fire. Well, he's he's a racist. He would immediately be tarred and feathered as a racist. And look, anybody who watched 30 Rock knows the character Tufer, who and they joked about it because he was black and he went to Harvard. So they checked those two boxes. And it was it was deliberately supposed to be inflammatory because that was a comedy show. Now, now, some people would say that the current government is uh, has, has thrown us into a very, very dark comedy as a country. Um, but th- this prime minister, and if you listen to his voice, it is dripping with condescension. It is it was it was a choice. It was a deliberate choice to say that to turn around and then say, I didn't understand the implications. Oh, it was misconstrued is uh, it, you have to you have to hold the, the listener in very low regard to get them to buy that. This is a this is a government that plays fast and loose with expressions. They will they they are uh, very quick to call somebody a misogynist, a sexist, a Nazi with absolutely no proof. And so for this to happen, this is for me par for the course for this government. That as I've said before, the self righteous believe that the rules that they want us to live by don't apply to them because their mission is so critical to reshaping this country. And so we've seen it before. We're going to see it again. It's a very much do as I say, not as I do sort of attitude from this government. This this is uh, 
if, if it were funny, I would say, okay, it's a joke, not funny. And, and by the way, you don't want to cross a guy like Jamil Giovanni with stuff like this because he's proven he's willing to go toe-to-toe with some pretty heavy hitters. And I'd make the point, Kareem, somebody that, that isn't Ben, that isn't me, that isn't you, that hasn't had to stand in front of the entire nation in an election campaign and apologize for multiple examples of, of wearing blackface has to navigate anything that could be misconstrued as something ethnically or racially insensitive a lot more carefully than he did yesterday. That was a person that doesn't feel his consequences for words, and there often are. Yeah, I, I would just expect a bit more thoughtful, conscientious um, from, you know, but words from, from a leader. Um, so on that level, it's disappointing, and it's annoying to have to even parse this because it was a, a choice. I, I agree with Ben on that. It was a choice that was made, and it's, intended, I think, on some level to provoke this discussion around things. Um, But uh, I I don't find it particularly helpful. And again, it's not substantive. Here's what I'd say, Ben. It it probably helps um, Giovanni's campaign. It gets him a lot of attention. Thousand like this doesn't make any sense. Why? What he's amplifying? He's saying Roman Baber is this. Sabrina Maddow is this. uh, Jamil Giovanni. These people kind of had profiles already. You're just amplifying them going, you're going to make me want to vote for them instead of not voting for them. If you're going to despair, why would people get into politics if the prime minister is going to run a smear campaign against them at his own retreat? Well, and, and this is what what, uh, what blows my mind is that this was a government that in large part got elected uh, the first time because they were so effective at controlling messaging, at, at, at carving out what they wanted to say and how they wanted people to. And their self-awareness was through the roof. They knew how people saw them. Mm-hmm. They leveraged it. They flipped things on its head. They were better at telling stories than anybody yeah. else. And for the first part of their uh, of their mandate, they were the best in the world at it, as far as I was concerned. Mm. Uh, they've lost the plot. They do not know how to message for the life of them. Uh, and, and and it's to their detriment. Um, you mentioned the uh, event in Calgary, Karima. Um, and I'm ju- I'll just set a brief context for people. U.S. broadcaster Tucker Carlson crosses the border. He sits down with Daniel Smith. He did his own event um, where the Oilers play, uh, where uh, Rogers Arena is in Edmonton. Carlson may not be everybody's cup of tea, uh, but I, we watched four MPs strut out there yesterday for the liberals and almost suggest. And by the way, for everybody that thinks the media leans left, they, they weren't having it. They were hammering Stephen Gilbo. They were hammering Pablo Rodriguez saying, what are you saying? He shouldn't even be allowed to cross the border. What did you make of it? Well, uh, as I as I said, I think that when you sort of I, I, as far as Tucker Carlson is concerned, um, the demographic that he speaks to, that he spoke to, the fact that even Fox News considered him too much of a stigma liability, um, that's, that's the context. Uh, and his actual words and speech, um, from what I could parse out, um, there were what some may refer to as dog whistles, um, or the idea of feeding into um, narratives that... Uh, People who think people are being replaced, right? And, and that was kind of the wink, wink, nudge, nudge. And, and I think that's where people have upset yeah. and concern. But I, I don't know that the finger pointing and the finger wagging is anything other than actually bolster um, for, for those who are, are hearing him. Uh, I think it yeah. has a counterproductive effect. 
Um, so that, that's that's my take on it. That the idea of deplatforming um, and it, it's just not as effective as mm. actually countering a message. Ben, it's it's um, yeah. Tucker Carlson ain't everybody's cup of tea. Daniel Smith ain't everybody's cup of tea. But yeah. then we're going to get into free speech arguments. Don't watch. Don't vote for well, them. Right. Well, I, I completely agree with Karima. The, the, um, there was a conservative pundit named Milo Yiannopoulos who years ago, every time he would want to go speak, uh, he uh, uh, students would protest. And, and that only made people, his fans, want to see him more. What actually got him to stop speaking wasn't the protest. It was the words that came out of his mouth. Mm-hmm. He said something that was a bridge too far, and all of a sudden he lost the following that he had. Um, Tucker Carlson uh, was was forced out of Fox News because of the things he did and said. It wasn't because of protests against him uh, and, and people demanding that that he be uh, banned from this and banned from that. That that sends that galvanizes people. That turns him into a martyr. So the, the, the if you don't want him there, let him speak. He will get himself into trouble. Uh, he's he's not everyone's cup of tea. He's not every conservative's cup of tea. Uh, but if 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 you try to marginalize him, those who love him will love him even more. So you're saying for the four liberal MPs, you're Ben Mulroney, senior advisor to the uh, Liberal Party. You're like, don't go out there and start talking about him and complaining about him, right? Well, well it, I mean, it, like, what are we doing here? Like, what's what what what's the end goal? I, mean, I, I thought diversity was our strength, and diversity includes diversity of thought. So you know, you, you, you pick a lane and stick to that lane, and mm. and 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 the and and the um, you know the example, the proof that diversity is our strength is our ability to listen to things we disagree with. Let me bring it back, and I think we lost Karima. So Ben, I'll start with you here on this. Uh, we'll get her back on this carjacking scenario and these numbers: eighty-nine arrests, five hundred fifty-four charges. I think we can overuse the word epidemic, Ben. But that's what this is with stolen cars in Toronto and carjacking specifically. It's one thing if you wake up in the morning, your car's not in your driveway. It's another one. You pull up to an intersection and you get accosted and people throw you out of your own car and drive off. And that's what we're talking about. The numbers are massive. Yeah, look, initially, I uh, this was attributed uh, during the pandemic to supply chain issues, which made it harder to get the silicon for uh, for um, uh, the technology inside the fob. And therefore, the security within the fob was downgraded, making it easier to steal these cars. That's not this anymore. This is this is a, a symptom of a much larger problem. Uh, and a crime is, is going up uh, everywhere uh, in this country. This is uh, yeah, this is I, I would say it's just it's one more example of how. How, how uh, is it the affordability crisis? Is it the fact that uh, that there are fewer cops on the streets? Is it the fact that the wait times for uh, for priority one calls is is longer and and, and criminals know? Is it the fact that um, that uh, you, you can be arrested in the morning out on bail and committing crimes in the afternoon? Is it a combination of those things? I don't know. All I know is is this is this doesn't surprise me. How about that? Karima, is this about society? Is it about there isn't a strong enough sense? This is a really difficult crime to catch in the act. I often say, why would anybody rob a bank? There's cameras and security and an armed guard when you can actually take what you'd get from the bank um, and drive off in someone else's SUV. I mean, that's the criminal mind, and it's clearly catching on. <laughs> yeah, no, you have a good thought there uh, for criminal minds. Um, I-, I think that... <laughs> Yeah, it, it, yeah, it's indicative of something deeper going on in society, that this is so prevalent, um, that people 
resort to this. They feel it's an easy option. Um, I am a big proponent in, in thinking and talking about the social determinants of crime. Um, so why is it that, that people veer toward this? What are they not getting otherwise in society? What options are, are lacking? Um, healthcare, education, housing, um, addictions, those are all issues at play, but also a culture, right? Um, and if yeah. there is a culture of impunity, sure, um, but we have to be cautious about not allowing that to then undermine civil liberties, constitutional rights, um, and I think that's a concern with the tough-on-crime approach. Um, and then, like, I I kind of blanch sometimes when the police are like, please don't, you know, don't engage, just give up the car, and I'm like, well, who's, who's trying to take it from me? <laughs> Like, I, you know, are my kids in the car at the time? Can I get them out? Like, that's a little I know the cops have to say that. But I do wonder how many people say, no, sorry, you can't take it. And they move on to something else. Right. It's the threat as opposed to the follow through. And we've, we've seen videos online of attempted carjackings and people who think very quickly and are able to get themselves out of those situations. Look, I agree. Like All things being equal. Um it just give up your car because the alternative could be giving up your life. So that's, mm. that's rule number one. However, if you're a quick thinker and you see somebody getting out of their car and, and their, their, their leg is out and you are a quick enough thinker to get out of the way and drive away, like to me, that makes a lot of sense because you're in a car. This guy's about to be on foot. Yeah. So, so your chance of getting away in the car is better than if, if they get to your car and you step out. So now I know myself, I'm not what you would call a macho man. And so I would give that thing up in a heartbeat. <laughs> I, would, I, would throw, I would throw the keys at him and I'd give him my wallet, uh, even if he didn't ask for it. Ben, our, our cop show on NBC would have lasted less than one season. We would have been canned after 10 <laughs> episodes. We're not, we're not Crockett and Tubbs, is I think the point, no, we are not. The point <laughs> you're making. Karima, let me go here on McDonald's. Who doesn't want to think about McDonald's this time of morning? The McRib is coming back to participating yes. restaurants beginning next Tuesday in the remaining time we have left you pull up to the drive-thru no judgment what's Kareem ordering at McDonald's I'm already in trouble at the drive-thru because I'm on a scooter um (laughs) but you know I I'm partial to the quarter pounder I I keep it simple um and no pickles please for me no pickles Ben what's Ben's uh McDonald's order when you're a solo you don't have to worry about kids being picky the wife wanting this what does Ben get at McDonald's drive-thru let me be very clear. There are a few things in life that give me the joy that a McRib gives me. It scratches Whoa. a particular itch, Gregory. And I'll give you an example. When I used to be on television and I used to travel all over the world for interviews, there was a particular airport in Germany that had the McRib on the menu all year long. And I ensured that if I was traveling to Europe, even if there was a direct flight to where I was going, I would stop in this airport. That is how important the McRib is to me. And I will die on this hill. Die on this hill. Wow. <laughs> next next Tuesday is your day. And for all the times I watched you on television, I never saw any barbecue sauce on that white shirt collar. I never saw oh. it. Not even once. So you're a clean eater, given how messy the yeah, McRib can be. Not it's not my first time. It's not my first rodeo. No, it's not. It won't be your first McRib on Tuesday morning, uh, right yeah, after right after all, Toronto yeah. today. Uh, they, they better have them ready. Thanks so much for the time. Have a good weekend.